Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrowcom slash ACAST. That's burrowcom slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to the Billboard on Broadway podcast. I'm your host, Rebecca Millsoff, senior editor at Billboard and Broadway expert here. So in the pop music world, artists work all the time with songwriting or producing teams. And in fact, will often be loyal to the same teams from album to album. And in musical theater, sort of a similar thing happens. There are typically duos of composers and lyricists who are some of the most famous songwriters uh, in musical theater's history. The names we're used to hearing in teams are so legendary, it can often seem like they've just been around forever, like Rodgers and Hart, Rodgers and Hammerstein, Lerner and Lowe, and more recently, uh, teams like the writers of Dear Evan Hansen, Pasek and Paul. They are leading a new generation of songwriting teams to watch out for, including my guests on the podcast today, Kate Kerrigan and Brian Laudermilk. The way I discovered the Kerrigan Laudermilk team was pretty specific to the world of modern musicals. Whenever I searched for my favorite musical theater performers on YouTube, these two would pop up. Seriously, if you search for their songs, um, you will get like a who's who of cool young musical theater people who are choosing to sing them in their personal shows and cabaret nights. It's kind of crazy. As I later discovered, Kate and Brian have been working together for a really long time. Uh, their first off-Broadway musical, which is still touring nationally, came in 2006, though their history goes back much farther than that. And since then, they've written several more shows. And not only does their music sound very much like the product of two fairly young writers who are keyed into the world of pop as well as that of theater, they constantly experiment with what form a musical can take in the first place. Their new show, called The Mad Ones, is at one of New York's major off-Broadway theaters right now, 59 East 59th Theaters. So it seemed like a perfect time to talk to them about their long-standing creative partnership. Say the word, and I just might listen. Say the word, and you might get your way loving you should be easier but say the word i uh i feel like i've known of the two of you for a long time but never had faces to pair with names i feel like you've been like an entity on the internet which i'll get into later but uh 
it's interesting to me because when we hear about like musical theater songwriting teams, you often think of them as like pre-existent entities who have just like always <laughs> been together and they're like one mind meld brain. Uh, so how did the two of you first get together and how did you know that you would work together well as a team and that you had a sensibility that would create coherent music, I suppose? <laughs> well, we, I, again, we've, we've known each other for so, so long. Um, Kate's dad directed me in a production of Lost in Yonkers when I was uh, in, like, sixth grade. Um, and th- we have, I like... I think you were younger. There were are, like, you, photos like, of us. Yeah. Isn't that sixth grade? I'm not good at, like, the he equation 10, of grade so to age. probably fourth grade. Oh it's like a deep yeah. childhood theater yeah. for yeah. <laughs> Like, the seminal moments, though, were, like, Kate and I, um, when I was in seventh grade, and you would have been in... Anyway, but like middle school, the two of us sitting around the piano, um, like teaching um, a bunch of kids that our was, own age that how was to high get through like Yorga Man Charlie yeah. Brown. So our, the first, our first like real interaction with each other um, was when we did we did Little Shop of Horrors in this like weird little workshop production during a summer camp, um, and I played Audrey and Brian played Seymour. But I took all of her high notes. He took all of my high notes. He was fourteen. His voice hadn't totally changed. Yet. I was the worst, guys. I was the worst. Um, we were not friends. Who knew no. that people stole high notes from each other? Mm, yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Brian still steals. High I still notes steal people's from high everybody. Notes. Yeah, yeah, from everyone. Um, but then the next year it was probably the first time we were we like figured out what to do with each other which yeah. was when we did little uh you're a good man charlie brown yeah and we forced a group of people to learn the book report together and like actually get the canon down we were like <laughs> drilling drilling the canon and we're like no these rhythms have to be <laughs> accurate and like we just kind of there was like a moment where the two of us looked at each other and we were like you get it yeah like you get why this is cool and why this is important right now and everyone wants to kill us but i like you yeah. um so we had that moment mm-hmm. and then we kind of must have just stored it in the back of our yeah. brains and then well, um you started really writing musicals after yeah. that and yeah. so then i was aware of Brian as my friend Marcus's writing partner. Yeah. Um, and Marcus Stevens, he writes now. He, he's a great writer. Um, he's also an amazing comedian and amazing actor. Um, but he, he and Brian started writing together when they were in high school. They lived down the street from each other. And I, I like read stage directions and was like in the first reading of your like very epic musical when you were 17. Yeah. <laughs> and then I was just like throwing stuff at the wall to see what would stick, you know? Yeah. Um, and one of those um, weird things I did, uh, I dropped out of Harvard my after the first semester of my freshman year. My mother was not thrilled with that. She went to get a massage <laughs> from Kate's stepmother. And who's a masseuse. Who's a, who's a masseuse. <laughs> I, I always forget to mention that. Yeah, a professional masseuse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and during that session, they had a conversation and decided that the best way to, like, sort out everyone's lives was for Kate and I to write a musical together. And um, we started, and within two weeks, we had started writing together. Yeah, he sent me an email, and I wrote back, and I was like, okay, yeah, I'll write a musical with you. I was writing plays at the time, and, you know, you're t- 20, and... When somebody says, do you want to write a musical and you haven't yet, you say, oh, yeah, okay, we'll do that. And so we came up with an idea for a musical. And about two years later, we did it in the New York Musical Theater Festival. And then from there, we got the opportunity to spec for a commission. And we got the commission for a children's show. And then we were kind of solidified. There was something about the alchemy of our, our 
what we how we worked, which is actually very different. We come at things from very different angles, but our aesthetic, probably because we grew up together on some level mm-hmm. um, and had a lot of the same influences, um, our aesthetic was really melded. And and we had this amazing night on a car, like yeah. when we were like eighteen, twenty. Just like talking about Hedwig for <laughs> we hours, talked about Hedwig yeah. and like and the Indigo Girls. <laughs> and, a seminal moment yeah. for anyone in life. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's when you find someone to really geek out about Hedwig with. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Indigo Girls. Yeah, yeah exactly. and Indigo Girls. Exactly. Like what a dream. Yes. Yeah. I would say the show we're writing right now is like the culmination of our love for both Hedwig and the Indigo Girls. <laughs> totally. Yeah. That's, I that's, had never thought about that. It's before. not not true. No, it totally yeah. is. Yeah, we love Hedwig it's and the Indigo Girls. So connected to Hedwig and the Indigo Girls. Yeah. I knew it was connected to the Indigo Girls. Yeah. How I had no, to I know, that. I know. We love those shows. Yeah. I mean, those. I'm glad I was able to facilitate this epiphany for yeah. both of you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was curious when you're when you're working together in a team like this, is it more important that certain things about your taste meld, or that you're actually opposites in certain ways? It sounds like aesthetically you are on the same page, but maybe your work processes are slightly different. There's a lot of the time when there are. There are right answers. There are obvious answers. There's like kind of like a bucket in which um, uh, we have certain guiding principles, and like neither of us is going to put the joke into the piece that breaks the musical. The comments on the fact that it's a musical. There, there are certain kinds of things that are like are and are not in our aesthetic, and those are like really easy answers and really easy ways when we just kind of effortlessly go, oh, this is what this song is supposed to be. This is what this scene is supposed to be, and then like some of the more exciting developments from us do come from the place where I go, no, like we have to go to this larger thematic place and Kate's like wrestling with how to activate that through character or Kate says, you know what, structurally we need to go um, into this area and and I'm struggling against that. So we we try and especially like um, as we like kind of go deeper into our career together to work under the assumption that both of us are right um, <laughs> in some world <laughs> and like trying to like exploit and enjoy those moments where um, one of us has the idea and the other isn't on board yet. Like that that can be really an exciting Mm -hmm. process. Or even if we have two very different ideas, it generally means that there's some kind of weird theatrical world. And that's where the most exciting theater is sometimes made is when you're trying to like follow one person's rules that feel very organic to them in a process and then the other person's rules that feel very organic and necessary to them and saying okay yeah these two things have to be true we don't have to let go of these things but how do you take take that and make that into theater and and theater in some ways feels like the um it feels like the nexus of those two like that thematic idea and that plot idea and how do you make that feel like magic Mm mm-hmm and do you have a process where you each have very discrete roles or are you always really collaborating and tossing things back and forth? We get up in each other's faces. Yeah. I a mean, lot. I am more the words person and Brian is the music person, but I have a background. I played the violin for 15 years so I can talk to him about music and Brian has written many, many lyrics and is amazing at story structure um, and like broad big blocks of how you get through the emotional story of a night. I'm and so weirdly we in charge of the dumb jokes. Like, I make the dumb jokes. <laughs> That's true. Um, no, like... <laughs> An enviable role We're sort of like those... We, <laughs> we have some questions about how um, uh, Betty and Adolph worked, and we think yeah. that there may have been some overlap. But uh, we... 
we are kind of like those two odd-looking trees that have grown. You can't see, but I'm like making a weird gesture with my hands. Um, those two kind of lovely but ugly trees that have grown over <laughs> top of each other in a very odd way where you can kind of oddly see. I, I, the best I can explain it is we tend to know when something is more in one person's strike yeah. zone than in the other. Mm-hmm. Um, and and we do, we'll like pass something back and be like, I got this far and this is as far as I could get and can you take it the rest of the way? And sometimes that's music and sometimes that's lyric and sometimes that's story and we, we do pass back and forth. I guess like at the end of the day, like I have like f- more final say over words, you have more final yeah. say over music, but like we're never happy if the other one isn't also like completely on board with something. So yeah. it's always about trying to find that that commonality because in some ways we're also each other's first you you know your collaborators your first audience and so you show them something that you're trying to make and you want them to say yes that's exciting to me and then you take it to your director and you want the director to say yes that's exciting to me so if you don't hit that with each of those people you you have less of a shot of hitting it with an audience <laughs> Kate's first love I think is a play and my first love is a song um, and we've um, really benefited from that, I think. The fact that I, at the end of the day, like believe in what like a well-made, like great, ambitious song can do, and I'm a songwriter sort of first. Like even before being a composer, before being a dramatist, like I'm a songwriter, and Kate is before anything else. I think she's a dramatist and a playwright, um, and so we've you know really doubled down on those roles. And like I think Kate really enjoys getting to write songs, and I really enjoy getting to write plays. Um, but like when we need to like fall back into a role, right, and like like let's so you were like, oh, quickly go write a song in the next two minutes. Like I would, he's going to be in charge would, of the structure I would of that song. Write a song and... that had some pretty <laughs> shitty lyrics in it in places, and then Kate would fix the shitty lyrics, and we'd be back in a few minutes. And like that's the quickest, most efficient yeah. way to. And the get same it thing, done. yeah. And if we were doing that with a play, I would write I would the play go get and a then he'd make some and dumb then read jokes it and make it okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you needed a play in the next five minutes, Kate would write that play, and I would go get a drink. Yeah, I would like yeah, to see. He would make the dumb jokes at the end. Like you make did. it funnier. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see the play that's written in five minutes and what it turns out to be like. Go, Kate, go. <laughs> well, kind of to this point, I'm I'm interested in what the stories and sounds are that interest both of you because I feel like your stories uh, for your shows are sort of diverse in subject matter, but a lot of them do feel very contemporary and very perhaps based in your own experience as like young people in you know, a metropolitan area, maybe. And uh, and your songs all very much sound like of this time and, um, you know, have that kind of pop-leaning sound that uh, makes me think you do listen to us on the radio, <laughs> maybe a little bit. It's, it's hard for me because I feel like this conversation is so informed by the conversation we haven't had yet about the internet because yes. I feel like, unfortunately, <laughs> most of the things people know of our work are whatever has been out on the internet for a while. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the musicals we've been working on lately and the pieces that we've been writing in the past years um, don't have as much of an internet presence yet. And so like, you know, we have an epic epic sung through musical that takes place in Northern Ireland during the Troubles. That's an adaptation of Henry IV, which again, like has a lens that is also a bit of a I mean, like, there are young people yeah. in it, but it's pretty far removed from our ex- our personal experiences. Yeah. Um, and we do gravitate towards political stories, but, um, and, and stories that have, like, large thematic engines behind them. Um, it can oftentimes be hard to see what those stories are from the songs that are on the internet, I would say. I, and I would say maybe it's not so much necessarily political, but things that have, um, that do have that larger resonance of, like, a th- 
of a third level of the story that feels societal on some level, like yeah. a, a, a change in society. And sometimes that's a very personal story, like the the sh- um, the show we're doing right now, The Mad Ones, has a very personal story that I think does have resonances that are um, more connected to like a movement of uh, where young women are right now. Um, but then there's, but then you know we have this other show that is a large scale political story in Northern Ireland, and that is also about this massive change in in a group of people and the way this terrorist organization sort of becomes a political organization. Um, so that that sense of there being a reverberation in a society is very important to us in something that we're making, even if it is at, like also an immersive house party, which right. is another show that we've been working on. But that one is connected to this, this millennial generation that um, we feel like is being sort of um, underappreciated, underrepresented, uh, not taken seriously, and I think that there's a lot of reasons, and it feels very connected to me to um, what was happening in modernism and, and at the turn of the 20th century, and this, these like turns of centuries where you don't know what to do, and you yeah. can see things speeding up and also slowing down, um, and what it feels like to be in those massive moments that are not just generational, but I guess centurion is that a word? I don't know. I like it. <laughs> Go with it. I'm into it. Well, the fact that the fact that you two even bonded over a mutual love of Hedvig and the Indigo Girls tells me a little something about what you're into. Right. Yeah. I mean, I was curious whether when you the music that influences you is it any traditional musical theater, but it sounds like it probably is a blend of theater yeah. and more pop music. Yeah, I would yeah. say that's true. I mean, I I came from I loved doing I did plays in high school and college and I loved theater, but I also was I was a massive reader and I was I was trying to go after being like a novelist when I was in high school and college. Mm-hmm. And so I I was studying I was studying modernism, I was studying uh, contemporary literature and I still that's what I widely read. Um and Brian was wanted this, to be a female singer-songwriter, really. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> you went down that route pretty yeah, hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, at the same time, we both were doing theater. We both loved the theater community. Um, and so it made a ton of sense as we started figuring out what we were actually going to do with our lives um, yeah. to try to be in this community. Um, and so we started trying to make stories. I always wanted to tell stories. Um, and you always wanted to write songs. But, like, doing it here, we could do both and actually wed that with the kind of community that we felt the most comfortable in. Mm-hmm. Who who besides Indigo Girls did you want to be when you were coming oh, up? Oh, what else? What Edie else did we Carey? do? Yeah, oh, I loved Edie Carey, Dar Jonathan Williams. Brooke, Tori Amos. Oh, Jonathan Brooke. Yeah, yeah. No, I love... Listen, Paula Cole was awesome in the she 90s. She was really, yes, really great respect stuff Paula Cole. Yeah, oh, oh, Fiona Paula Apple. Cole. Oh, God, Fiona Apple. Yeah, and then we found sure. Imogen, Imogen Heap yeah, when Imogen we were Heap a little older. Yeah, Imogen Heap was a really big moment for that us. That was huge. Yeah, we were like, what? Like... Awesome singer-songwriter, like, meets Electronica. Like, oh, the sky opened. felt so emotional. Yeah. And, like, also Electronica. It was so weird and exciting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Radiohead yeah. was a big one for me. Yeah. Not as much for you, I think. I All I can think about are, like, ladies and guitars right now. <laughs> but then again, like, go we're also it, making it. the show we're making right yeah, now. Yeah, right. That's true. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Well, I want to talk about the mad ones, but I, I would like to talk about the internet a little bit first because the internet is the way I discovered the two of you. And I think it's such a funny phenomenon that I've encountered at least that when I go down YouTube rabbit holes of like all of my favorite musical theater performers. Never. Some... I've never. I've never heard of such a thing. I certainly <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> it's a very healthy behavior. Um, <laughs> totally normal. Uh, totally normal. <laughs> um, it always happens that I find them doing a cabaret performance of one or many of your songs. Like it literally happens with everyone. Like I made a list and it includes like Aaron Tveit, Annalie Ashford, like, I think Sarah Hyland, even yeah. at one point, yeah. Um, Casey Levy, Laura Osnes. <laughs> it's just like, if anyone is a musical theater person, it seems like they are into your music. So, I mean, number one, this seems like an amazing advertisement for the two of you as a songwriting team. But um, I'm curious, like, how did all of these people discover you? And how have you developed this kind of community of singing actors who love your music? This really comes from Brian because Brian has always come he's always come at this from trying to create great performances. Yeah, I there's some there's a part of me that I mean first off like when I was searching for footage of the Total Eclipse, like YouTube was like, "Oh, you want to watch Jeremy Jordan sing Total Eclipse of the Heart?" And I was like, "Yeah, absolutely <laughs> I do." Yeah, no, totally. Like my YouTube search, no, like totally. Like I listen, I love um not just an incredible musical theater performer, um, you know, uh, going through uh, an amazing journey in a theater. There's also part of me that loves the experience of being either in the same room with them or um, through a screen and being three feet away from them and being to see, able to see all the minutia of what Laura Benanti is doing and to, and to be able to kind of revel in it. And I love a song that shows me absolutely everything that this performer is capable of doing in five minutes. I mean, what a what a joy. Like how extraordinary. And of course it's um it's it's as different from being a full length performance as, you know, mini golf is from golf, but it's still awesome, right? It's mm-hmm. still cool. It's so cool that I can see what Lindsay Mendez does in five minutes and and see all of that range that I would otherwise get in a two hour um, piece. So I, I I that's always been something that I've loved and I I think have specifically brought to our collaboration a desire to create um, songs that want to be inhabited by those great performers. Vehicles. Yeah, vehicles to show what's possible um, in an extraordinary five minutes. Whether or not that serves us well or not as theater artists, which we are principally, right? Um, we think of ourselves not as people who write songs for YouTube. We think of ourselves who are writing um, full-length musicals, but I don't know. I feel a sense of pride that a generation of young actors has grown up thinking that, like, if I want to try and really cut my teeth on what and like on how far I can go in five minutes of stage time, like, I want to reach for one of these 
super ambitious five minute songs. And yeah, sometimes like sometimes you might crack on whatever you're aiming for. Sometimes you may not, but kind of fail to convey the full emotional trajectory of what that five minutes was supposed to be. But I think that there's value in the attempt too. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess what I'm struck by also is just that this community of people has sprung up around your music and they, you like within this like fairly large group of really prominent performers, it seems like you have a fan base and that's a good fan base to it's have. It's awesome. It's it, really cool. We also kind of, a lot of them are people that we came up with. And yeah. so we were starting out when they were starting out. Like Casey Levy, we met when we were doing like our first demo for yeah. our first show. No, and I she remember was just when like coming out of college. Laura had just won Greece and she yeah. was like new to New York. And so we, so like she yeah. came into an audition for us and we loved her. And like it didn't, we didn't end up working with her on that, but we emailed her. And we, we were like, thought we think you're amazing. Sarah Hyland was a big star in Grey Gardens. Like, <laughs> I, I don't know. We just, like, when we see talented people, we're like, oh, we want to work with you. Yeah. I, just sometimes they end up being superheroes on shows. <laughs> well, I think we, I think <laughs> often, like, yeah. often, like, that's been the weird thing for me. I don't watch, like, a ton of superhero shows. And I have, like, a really high percentage of people I know who play superheroes. And that's that's been something I'm, like, trying to you know, really, reconcile really trying to reconcile that's fair but yeah well I mean I'm I, I was curious if they tell you at all what it is about their music that they love so much but it might it seems to me it might be what you were saying that you create these songs that can be very easily like self standing you know vehicles for people to show kind of everything that they can do I think the people song. who like our songs they like that there's this I mean Brian Brian writes a beautiful melody um, and it's really catchy and people there's earworms like so they get it stuck in their head and I think that there's something incredible about that and not everybody is not everybody is good at that and then I think we're we're also relentlessly determined to make sure that there's story in those songs and that there's something to ground it in character and so that there's something to hold on to that's not just the musical idea and so generally we're trying to make sure that that those like those paces that we're making them run through um, musically are completely motivated actor wise, yeah. um, and so I think that's something that they find it, it that makes it rewarding. Find appealing. It makes it rewarding to work do. on it for a semester in college, right? There are yeah. songs that like that that are and are not rewarding to spend a lot of time on um, as an actor. Um, so yeah, I don't know how to take that as anything other than a compliment in terms of like the fact yeah. that people who want to be actors like w- want to work on these songs it's it's really cool I, it's especially like that it's people in other countries yeah. um i taught a master class in in bangkok um a few years ago because i was like going through southeast asia and i was like well i want to see what this musical theater program in bangkok is like obviously and like their entire um way that they perceive um musical theater not just american musical theater all musical theater is through the internet so if it's not on YouTube, it literally doesn't exist to them. Mm-hmm. And it was so fascinating to see like what they thought the world of musical theater was um, and what and what success meant and and who like the star performers were because it's just whoever is is appealing to them on YouTube. It's kind of fascinating. Yeah, well, another bigger topic I would like to return to later, but it's like, I mean, YouTube is seems like it's a new kind of stage, really. Yeah. I mean, it's, Absolutely. it's not just a live stage that people are performing anymore, for sure. Um, 
for the moment, though, let's talk about the Mad Ones a little bit, because I was going to say it did sound like a very timely story to me from the vague description that the theater is giving of it right now. But tell us a little bit about the story and sort of what the sound of the show is like. Um, the story is about a young woman who is the valedictorian of her high school. She's uh, as smart as they come, and she's kind of lost her way during her senior year, and she's uh, going. she's gone through a pretty rough year, and she's trying to decide um, how she's going to make the first adult decision of her life um, and whether or not she's going to college. But it's a little bit – hopefully it will feel bigger than that, and it feels hopefully like um, – connected to the way that we make decisions in our lives and try to do that on our own and take the pieces of information that we have from other people, but then um, actually take that responsibility of doing something that you actually want to do. The other character that I find to be really especially interesting in the piece is her mother, Beverly, who's going on um, a large journey in terms of how she sees her daughter and sees um, the decisions that her daughter is making um, and the broader um, trajectory that she's witnessed. She's um, she's an older single mother, and she um, and she's witnessed a lot of change in terms of. Um, what that relationship is with her daughter and what expectations she sees for her. Yeah, one of the things that has always been in the piece for us was oddly like a conversation with um, the novel on the road, um, which which Sam sort of holds on to as something that matters to her and the idea of this sort of like romantic road trip. Um, and she and her best friend have taken all these road trips together and she has this she has this relationship with this book that everyone in the book in the in the um, in the story has an opinion about. And there's something about that this, these which is about two boys on the road and her and her best friend and finally her on her own um, making this making the choices that she's making um, that I think sort of taps into a feminism that we're um, that we've been exploring more and more in the piece, which is connected to these different waves of feminism. And first there's her mother, then her there's her best friend who has kind of a, uh, I would say a sort of shallow version of feminism, but also like a really wild and uh, free version of feminism. And then there's Sam who's trying to navigate the space in between those two and try to figure out what you how can you how can you be responsible but also um, not afraid of what you want to do. When you're a duo who have been working together for so long and you have many shows under your belt, I wonder, do you proceed in sort of a like project by project order or is this a show that you've had ideas floating around about for a long time and they're just now coalescing or was this like a very discreet, okay, we're working on this, you know, in the past however many years or months? You know, for better or worse, um, it can often take a very long time for a musical to premiere in New York, and this show has had not an unprecedented um, uh, <laughs> journey, but but definitely a, a fairly long one. one. The really nice thing is is that, you know, basically like clockwork every two years in our career, we've had the chance to kind of go in and work on this in some capacity um, in between someone, you know paying us for the right to not produce our show. Um, but we've had the ability to go in and and work on it. And so it's it's actually, it, it's never felt very far away from us. It's always been something, we and, and at the same time, it's never 
been quite so much at the forefront. Mm -hmm. um, so it definitely is representative of where we as, are as artists now mm -hmm. um, and feels vital to us and the thing we have to say now. But it also um, is the product of a decade of conversation between the two of us and a decade of collaboration and a decade of us um, fighting hard fights and figuring out. Um, and, and for me, like, you know, finding how to amplify Kate's voice um, and the ideas that she has that I think are fairly unprecedented in uh, musical um, and, and finding how those can feel um, uh, like idiomatic to the art form, right? Like finding ways to, to make those ideas land um, fully in song. And that's been one of the like final journeys for us to complete. And there are three new songs in the piece that I think are kind of stand with the best of what our work's ever been um, mm -hmm. that no one's heard before that are brand new and that I feel like are encapsulations of sort of what our brand of theatricality is, um, of what Kate's thoughts on feminism are, and on, you know, Hedwig meets the Indigo Girls. <laughs> <laughs> I love that we keep coming back to this. Listen, yeah. <laughs> I'll take it. Yeah, I think that the thing that we'd um, we'd had we'd had the plot and we had the the emotional landing points of the story prior to this most recent draft. But the thing that we've been working on for the past year is definitely connected to that that more societal level. And part of that is also that as writers, we've gotten more focused on that. We've gotten more determined that that has to be a part of something that we're making and that you mm -hmm. have to you have to demand that something be on stage you have to demand that your piece um is is resonant to more than just the population who likes it on the internet we want to make sure that we're mm -hmm. making something that doesn't just land for teenage girls but that feels like it's a, a piece of theater about our society a little bit um and so so that's been the, the last phase of the journey for us well, this is a show that it's at a major off-Broadway theater. It's, as I understand it, will be a normal on-stage musical. Yes. Um, <laughs> but that has not always been we'll the case. We'll see. <laughs> yes, it will. Uh, but that has not always been the case with you guys. And I, I, something I find interesting about you is that you seem to enjoy playing with the format of what a musical can be. And like looking back at your canon, as it were, you've had like an audio musical and like immersive workshop musical and a quote unquote living musical, which I would love for you to explain. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. And <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'm curious what what about playing with structure appeals to you and um, sort of ultimately like what you see the future of what a musical can look like being is a traditional Broadway musical still the goal for a team like the two of you, or is that not where you think the future of musicals is? That's such a good question. It's a great question. Um, listen, Broadway's amazing. It's fantastic that it exists. It, it's amazing that its revenues remain like largely untouched by like a lot of the crazy things that have changed in the entertainment industry in the past decade or two. Um, that said, like there are some really exciting new horizons. We are very excited for like the things that are happening with geometric storytelling, both in immersive theater and potentially in VR. We're really excited about like aircraft hangars in Europe where people are staging like enormous things. We're really interested in new opera. We're interested in downtown theater. We're we're interested in, you know, the, the uh, boundless optimism for where musicals can go and what they can do and a desire to have our hands in all of it. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, we. I, I love sitting down in a theater and wa- having the lights go down and then and watching something and being a fly in the wall. But um, I remember the first time I went to see Sleep No More, my I felt like like my world exploded. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually having have being allowed to walk around and make my own choices was one of the most gratifying and exciting experiences. I didn't really know what was going on, um, but then I went back and I watched it again. Like I, the second time I went, I like forced myself I'd figured out the structure the first time and we're both like major structuralists which is why I think we like to play around with it so much Mm -hmm. Um, but I managed to sort of figure out how long each of the sections were in the first time I saw it so that by the second time I went I was able to like clock myself out and like I went through with Macbeth and then I did I did another version where I didn't see any people like I, I, I got like like my three versions of the show out so that I understood what was happening and what they were doing and tried to sort of uh, deconstruct it the way I do when I go to a restaurant and I really like a meal and I want to be able to like go cook it at home. I did that with Sleep No More. <laughs> I was going to say, are, are the Sleep No More people <laughs> counting on people like you coming I don't like, know. deconstructing it? But that's what I did. Kate and I is just so good there. at finding the end of the world of an immersive <laughs> theater really piece. really good at it. She's your worst nightmare. She like, <laughs> she's been to theater pieces and like just like walks straight to the door she's not supposed to open. Manages <laughs> to find it instantly. Opens the door. Is told she can't go in there and like comes to meet me. I'm still getting a drink at the bar and she's like I found the end of the world she's <laughs> the worst person to go to an immersive musical with I'm the best because I go like running over to you I'm like oh my god a woman covered in blood just kissed me on the ear everything's crazy that would be me yeah, yeah it's the yeah. best come to our immersive house party musical yeah. it's the best just people just like singing their feelings a foot in front of your face um, five songs at once yes 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 we like playing with structure yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're always looking for like how how do you do something that hasn't been done before? How yeah. do you and I and I think you know even with like novels and things that that's my one of my favorite things when I was when I was younger and I was starting to like really dive into novel structure like the visit from the goon squad had an enormous impact on us like with all of the things that we were anytime we find someone doing anything fascinating in another genre right like like cloud atlas david mitchell we were like how does this work like let's take this apart beat by beat and figure out how this holds together because this is extraordinary can we do it too in a different form like Mm -hmm. like, yeah um uh christopher nolan's work in film yeah like wait how does this hold together this is extraordinary um who else are and like even like you know what makes a nine minute like fantastic Jim Steinman song hold together yeah. like why is this okay how does this work like just always just kind of taking things apart and figuring it out like what better thing to do with someone who you used to be in Little Shop of Horrors with when you were in middle school you know what I mean like yes. what a dream <laughs> amazing well it was really great to talk to both of you it was great talking to you can't too. wait to see the show so yeah fun. thank you cool. Run away with me Let me be a ride out of town Let me be the place that you hide We can make our lives on the go Run away with me Texas in the summer is cool We'll be on the road like Jack Kerouac Looking back, Sam, you're ready Let's go Car packed and throw me the key. 
Run away with me. The Mad Ones is playing at 59 East 59 Theaters through December 17th, and you can find all of the Kerrigan Loudermilk team's music at kerrigan-loudermilk.com. If you like the Billboard on Broadway podcast, please subscribe on iTunes. Please give us lots of stars and nice reviews if you feel so moved. You can find me on Twitter at Rebecca Millsoff. Uh, if you want to tweet about the podcast, use the hashtag Billboard on Broadway. And I'll be taking next week off for Thanksgiving. So have a great holiday and hope to have you back after that. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.